This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Francesa Podcast on this week that is kind of tough for football fans to make the adjustment away from football, no football this week. And really, unless you are headed to Vegas, and if you are, bring money because uh, not just if you're going there to pick up tickets, don't even go because the, the price of tickets is going to be through the roof. It is through the roof. I mean, they have raised the face of the tickets so dramatically now. So the secondary market is out of most people's range I mean, if you wanted to get a really good seat and buy it on a secondary market, you need to take out a mortgage. I mean, you, I'm serious. They're asking thirty-five, $45,000 for a ticket on the 40-yard line. I mean, absurd when you think about it. But remember, there's no cheap face ticket anymore. Most of the tickets to get into the building are, you know, close to $10,000 on face. So, and the NFL is doing whatever it can to, to slow down the secondary market and control things themselves. But uh, like I said, for most of you that are just waiting around and don't think about football this week, there is an adjustment. Sunday will be an adjustment. There's no question. And this week is uh, before everybody descends on Vegas next week, including all the media, uh, to basically pass off the same guest to 42 different shows, which is as tedious as it comes. This week is about just pure nonsense. I mean, stuff about, you know, uh, who's going to win the coin toss, what the weather will be in Vegas, even though the game's indoors, uh, what the weather's going to be in Vegas at game time. Uh, you know, utterly ridiculous, uh, the, the length of the national anthem. I mean, all the nonsense that goes on, things about colors and uh, just all kinds of just tedious nonsense. And next week, you can zero in a couple of days and get down to the game. It should be a very good game. The game opened San Francisco two and a half and quickly went to Kansas City, uh, quickly went to San Francisco one. So the quick money. Now, the way this works is on any line is Vegas puts out a line and then they let their, what they consider their sharpest professional gamblers who live in Vegas bet into it. And then that's the line that's given out to the whole country, so it just So that came down a little bit because the money came in Kansas City. Since then, there's been some very big bets on San Francisco. Um, the line has gone back from one to two. I don't think this line's going over two. I think it's going to bounce between one and two pretty much. I don't think it's going near three. You're not going to see Mahomes in a field goal in this game. Uh, so I think Kansas City will be a one to a two-point underdog, depending on where you are and what day you wager on it and everything else. Uh, nothing more than that. Now, Kansas City has a couple injuries. They played without their left guard, Thune, uh, the last game. So they, they've already adjusted to that with Allegretti. 
they lost a pass rusher in the menu uh, who tore an ACL. We don't know about Gay. The two weeks maybe gets Gay back to play. That would be good if he can. Niners don't seem to have anybody who's going to be out of the game, so they can pretty much come in healthy. Debo's got two more weeks to get his shoulder ready, but he was ready last week to play. So um, small edge there, uh, San Francisco, in terms of overall health, not losing anybody, and Kansas City losing a couple of uh, parts. But they have depth on defense and have gotten some superb play from some youngsters on that defense. Really, absolutely wonderful play. Uh, and Spags has done an incredible job with that defense. Uh, uh, he really has. And, you know, when you look at this game, and San Francisco at times this year was overpowering, and the, Raiders, and the Chiefs were not. The Chiefs have played two really interesting games against really good opponents on the road. What they did to get here, you couldn't have a tougher road to a Super Bowl than to go through Buffalo and Baltimore on the road. I don't think any recent team who has come to a Super Bowl has gone through better than that. That's about as good as it gets. That's two weeks of playing top echelon talent on the road. So beating Josh Allen, beating the soon-to-be reigning MVP, um, it doesn't get any harder than that. So what Kansas City's accomplished is impressive. There's no question about that. And this group, and when you think of Kansas City, you think about Andy, Spags, Mahomes, Kelsey, Chris Jones, and the kicker. They are the core they are the guys who've been there, done that. They are the core of this team. And they have sprinkled some very interesting parts around that and have come up with a lot of good players to add to that while losing a dynamic player in Hill, which was a decision they had to make. Now it's worked for them because they've been to a couple of Super Bowls without him. Now, when you look at this game, Kansas City's run defense very good against Baltimore, took them out of their game. Not good against Buffalo, although stiffened late in the fourth quarter when it had to. Not great against the run, which San Francisco obviously can load up and run it and then hit those passes, especially across the middle with their game-breaking receivers, who are tremendous run after the catch players. All their receivers, Debo, Ayuk, Kittle are all tremendous run-after-catch players. That is a big part of what San Francisco does. But when you look at this game, and I have no qualms or no problems with, I would call the game pick em, in my mind. I don't think either team should be favored. I see edges in the following areas for Kansas City. Coaching staff, Kansas City. Kicker, big Kansas City. Defense, edge Kansas City. Quarterback, edge Kansas City. That's a lot of edges. As we open up and think, move towards Super Bowl week, it's a lot of edges for a team that's underdog in this game and has won two Super Bowls in recent years. That's a lot. So, obviously, I think it tends you to make, 
I mean, I don't think I'm going to make any secret of this. I'm, I'm going to pick Kansas City in the game. Uh, I've been on them. I picked them against Buffalo. I picked them against Baltimore. I'm going to pick them against San Francisco on a neutral field. I mean, there's no question about it. Um, but San Francisco can win this game, and they deserve – like I said, the game should be pick them. But I do see edges, some slight, some more than slight, in those areas for Kansas City. More on this game, obviously, because we don't want to empty the bag uh, 10 days early. Um, we will do a Friday podcast. It won't just be a football uh, Friday podcast. We'll look ahead, including a vintage game at the Garden Saturday at noon as number one UConn will come in to the Garden to play St. John's. St. John's had a great chance to beat UConn on the road. Now, this is going to be a game that's going to bother St. John's because the Garden's going to be full, but it's probably going to have at least 40% UConn fans. Uh, but it should be a sold-out game, high noon, national TV, Saturday, great for the city, great for St. John's, great for the Big East, number one Connecticut at St. John's, and we'll deal with that on Friday. Um, <clears throat> emails, we haven't done them in a while, so let's do some. You can remember to send your emails to Mike Francesa Podcast at gmail.com. Mike Francesa podcast at gmail.com. Let's get to some. Here we go. Mike starts us off. This is the best Knicks team since dot, dot, dot. Um, I like this Knicks team. I'm not a big Randall guy. Obviously, that's a void they have to fill. Hopefully get them back before the playoffs, which they clearly will. Um, right now, they're a shorter man. They're playing very, very well. Uh, if you know me, you know that I was very close to those Villanova championship teams, and this is the Nova Knicks. So I've always been a very big Brunson guy. I've always been a very big Dante guy. I, I love those Villanova teams. I was close to them and close to the coach. So uh know these guys very well. So it's a very likable team, and Brunson's uh, been just nothing short of terrific. He really has. But it is not fair to judge this team by anything they do in what I judge as a completely devalued regular season. I have nothing for dis- but disdain for the NBA regular season. Uh, the NBA has so many problems with their regular season. The product they put forth now is disgraceful. Nothing short. You don't have to look any, anywhere past that Denver game hosting Philadelphia, and Bede coming off a, a week where he scored 70 points, battling for an MVP, and waiting for an Embiid-Jokic play game on national TV like the old days where you'd get that clash, classic matchup, and then he sits out. I don't care that he sat out a second game afterwards. You know what? He did that because of the criticism he got in the Denver game. He hasn't played in Denver in three years, and that's just a joke. Just an absolute joke, and that's what's wrong with this league. You never know who's going to play and who's not. Any night, you say, oh, I'm going to watch this game tonight, and you get there and say, this guy's sitting out, this guy's sitting out, this guy's sitting out. I mean, it's a false. But you got to like everything this Nick team is doing, and I await the playoffs, and that's where we will judge exactly how good they are and whether they deserve to be considered as a lot better than a lot of the Nick teams of recent vintage, which I think they have a chance very much to do. 
because what they've created now with the trade, which I told you I had no problem with, but a lot of people criticize them and have already had to eat their words. It gave them chemistry and it accentuated what they already had started. That's why it was a very good move because it made their core stronger at what they do. And it was a very good fit. And basketball is about fit. It's not just about saying, oh, this guy averages this many points and this many rebounds, so I can plug him in here. No. Got to fit. And when it fits, things get a lot better. Like what Hart brought to the team last year. Sometimes that move can jump a team a whole level. And this team now has that. But they will prove themselves in the postseason, not in the regular season. Giving uh, Coach Neptune's a dismal first year, missing the tournament despite having enough talent, and now having a second straight subpar season. Uh, Villanova lost again last night. Weird game against Marquette. They were down 20 in the first half. He has a very hard time dealing with what Armstrong brings and what Armstrong doesn't bring to the game. But he let Armstrong run those last minutes of the second of the first half, and they basically took a 20-point lead down to nothing. They actually took the lead in the second half and then lost the game to Marquette. They are now one game over 500. Remember, they won a tournament in the in Atlantis uh, that had them beat Carolina and Memphis and some very good teams. They have some very good wins, but they're at the bottom of the league right now. They're two games under 500 in conference play. They've lost five games in a row, and they're one game over 500. Right now, they don't get into the NCAA tournament. And if he goes two years without the NCAA tournament, that to that fan base, to that alumni base, and don't think these schools aren't concerned with their, first of all, obsessed with donations. And their donations go way up when their basketball team wins and these people get to have fun in March, whether it's in the Big East tournament and then the NCAA tournament. And listen, they got very spoiled under the brilliant Jay Wright. They won two national championships. They were in the top 10 six years in a row. They were a dominant, as dominant a team as there is in the nation during that time span. And now Neptune comes in to fill very big shoes. He has a great player in Whitmore who was the problem. I'm not blaming Neptune at all for Whitmore's surliness or how much he didn't fit in last year. And look at Neptune. I mean, look at Whitmore. Whitmore has gone crazy. I mean, I, I knew Whitmore had incredible explosiveness and talent, but he's not a good guy from what I've seen so far, either in the team concept. He didn't start off well at Houston. Now Houston is bringing him off the bench, and he's averaging a point a minute, and he's put up 20 points and, you know, and 10 rebounds in 18-minute games in recent vintage. He's been unbelievable for the last three weeks for Houston. We knew that was there, but he was destructive to the Villanova team. Now this team cannot find its chemistry. He still is not sure who belongs with whom. And that's hard to take this late into his second season. 
And they have the ability to beat a good team. They've beaten some good teams, but they've lost to some teams they should have never lost to. And there's some things that just stick out with them, you know, that just blink like a neon sign uh, about the way they play. First of all, you know one thing, they're going to make their free throws. They're just uncanny in that regard. They lead the country. They're always at the top. They lead the country more often than not, and they lead the country again this year shooting free throws. Last night, as an example, all they did was make 17 out of 17. I mean, it's an incredible force in their game and a strength in their game. They don't accentuate it enough. But what jumps out at you about Villanova is they don't, on most occasions, now last night I thought they did a better job, they don't on most occasions get good shots or pass the ball well. And it's a major factor for them. And it has hurt them dramatically. Now, they ran into Marquette last night, and Kolick was just, you know, he was sensational. You know, he had 32 points, six rebounds, nine assists. He had a great game. Uh, but the question you're asking is, if they don't make the tournament this year, two years in a row for a team that has been a superpower for the last decade, two years in the NCAA tournament, is like putting a hole in that school's heart. Will they accept that? I think they will give him a third year, if that's the question. I think if he doesn't get them to the NCAA tournament next year, he'd be gone. And I don't see even a hint that Jay Wright would come back. I know everyone, that's what everyone asks me all the time. Would Jay Wright come back? Because he's still young. Now he's doing TV. He clearly has a future there. You know, he's going to do that well. He's already done it well. Um, I don't think he wants to coach again. I don't think he wants to coach anywhere else, but I don't think he'd go back and coach there. I think it's hard for him to say no to that school because he loves it so much, but I don't think he would do it. But I think Neptune will get a third year, but that would be it. He would have to get back to the NCAA tournament next year. It's really shocking after their December that they would not make the tournament this year, but they've been terribly inconsistent. Dan, would a Super Bowl victory place Brock Purdy in the same conversation as Young in Montana? Only that he wears a 90 uniform and he has a ring. He has, at this point, nothing in common with them. Nothing. You cannot, that's just out of his league. Now, he is in a very good offense. I thought he picked it up in the second half and really not only led his team, but ran at the right time, made the right reads, had the right temperament. I thought he was terrific in the second half last week. The best he's been in a while this year. And he's been hot and cold. Now, remember, he cannot throw a wet ball, but he's not going to get one in the Super Bowl. So that's not going to be an issue. TJ, do the Yankees need to get to the World Series for Boone to keep his job? You guys are always obsessed with Boone keeping his job. It is not that big a deal. It's really on the list of things, not that high on the, on the, on the list. Who manages the team? I know that sounds crazy to you, but it really, it, it really isn't. If I switched managers right now for this year, you wouldn't notice the difference. 
It would not. But do I think they would make a change if they didn't make it? I think they feel that they have put together a Super Bowl, uh, put together a World Series team. I think most years the Yankees go in feeling that. I know last year they didn't. I'm still concerned about how the pitching and the depth in the bullpen works out. I need to see that. Clearly, having Soto and Judge back-to-back is enormous. I think Verdugo's going to make a big difference. I think the Yankees are, uh, thankfully, going to be far more balanced, which is, you know, just thank, thank the good Lord that that's finally going to happen because I've been screaming for it for years. I mean, I'm, I was so tired of these right-handed teams. Now they have left-handed players who are going to make a difference. I think, I think Alex Verdugo is going to be a very key player. And I'll tell you who's going to be a key player who nobody ever mentions. I think that more often than you think, I think Trent Grisham is going to be a key guy on this team. I really do. Now, this is a guy who is a good fielder. He doesn't hit for average. He's not a high on base percentage player, so he's not a leadoff hitter. He can steal a base. And he can hit home runs. Now, the last four years, his home run totals are between 13 and, say, 13, 17, 15, 10. I mean, he hits double digits. He's going to get at bats. He's going to be the guy they put in the game for defensive purposes. He's going to get at bats in center field when they DH judge, when they DH Soto. He's going to get at bats, and I think he's going to be a much bigger key than you think because he brings defense, he brings punch. And I think he's going to, he's got a swing that can hit home runs in Yankee Stadium. He plays defense. And you know somebody's going to be injured for three weeks or four weeks. He's going to be out there for a month straight. I think he's going to be a key guy. Plus, I think Verdugo, but what we're talking about is Grisham is left-handed. Okay? Boom. Left-handed. And I never thought I'd have to stress left-handed, but it's gotten absurd with this team. And now Verdugo is left-handed. And Soto, who is without question one of the best offensive players in the sport. I mean, they have two of the five best offensive players in the sport in Judge and Soto. He had 35 home runs last year he could easily hit 45-plus home runs this year, maybe even more. Plus, you know he is a very high on base. You're talking about a guy whose on-base percentage lifetime is 420. 420. So gets on base, hits with enormous power. 
left-handed, left-handed, left-handed. Thank the good Lord that we finally have some balance and the Yankees have gone back to left-handed. Now, the Yankees believe, you know, they've made it pretty clear. They believe in guys that I just don't believe in, okay? They they talk like, well, Don's going to be, you know, oh, he's going to be terrific. I mean, come on, he's going to be great. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. Hey, you know what? I don't know that. I don't like anything I saw last year. I don't like the things I heard about him. I don't like the things I watched. I don't like the way he acted. I don't like anything about him. Okay? And I don't trust him even a little. Now, we all had such high hopes for King, but you know what? That was going to happen. You have to give up something to get something. But I don't trust the rotation as much as other people do. I just don't. Okay? Stroman's a good pitcher, but he's not a good pitcher at Yankee Stadium. And he's not made for, his stuff is not made for Yankee Stadium. He's got to pitch defensively at Yankee Stadium, very defensively, and that's not a good thing. So I don't trust the rotation as much as guys do behind, obviously, Cole, who grudgingly I have to give him his due for last year. I'm not a Cole guy, but he was terrific last year. I still don't trust him in the big game. I I still, listen, he leaves me cold. It's just, it's just me, okay? But I cannot in any way cannot knock anything he did. I mean, what he did last year was sensational. There's no way around it, okay? Uh, he had a great year. He deserved the accolades he got. So there's nothing about him that you would say that you would, you know, take away from what he did. Uh, he was terrific. Absolutely, absolutely terrific in every way. So you have to be, you have to be, Give him his due, and I have to give him his due. All right, John, for those of us from a younger generation, can you elaborate on how the strike, lockout, diminished the standing of MLB? We all know about the steroid scandal. I don't fully grasp the significance. Well, you can go back and read chapter and verse and volume on this. They shut the sport down for a very long time. They killed the sport. They killed the World Series. They took the sport to its knees, and the sport was going to take a long time to come back. And then, of course, the exploits of McGuire and Sosa brought the fan back to the game, put the fan in a forgiving mood, and brought baseball back to the level it hadn't been able to reach since the lockout strike. Since both sides, and I don't, I don't blame one side more than the other. Both sides took the game to its knees. But baseball at that time, Bud, meaning Bud Selig, the commissioner at that time, was extremely permissive. So was all of baseball. They looked the other way as McGuire, who was openly cheating. I mean, he had Android in his locker. Um, no one cared that they were doing anything 
They didn't care if they were on rocket fuel as long as they were hitting home runs and filling ballparks. And then all of a sudden, years later, when Congress smacked Bud around, Bud was like, I'm not taking this anymore. And then he put in some, you know, a, a, a drug uh, rule and a drug testing rule and with some teeth in it, which obviously came back to bite some prominent players. But it was very permissive during the time that Sosa and Maguire, and give Sosa and Maguire, they use Sosa and Maguire, let's be honest. Those guys have been banished now, but they brought the game back. Rich, I was uh, at a recent Nick game, and Daryl Strawberry was on Celebrity Row. Uh, and he was introduced as a former Yankee. Now, you could go on about his exploits with both teams. He accomplished things in both uniforms. But as a Met fan, this annoyed me. I can understand that. Strawberry's yours. He's not a Yankee. He's a Met. Yes, George coveted Strawberry and Gooden. And even with their sins, he took them. And they both had some great moments in Yankee uniforms. No question about it. Strawberry had a lot of big home runs. He had big moments. Gooden had big moments. The bottom line is those guys are Mets in their glory. When you see them in their prime, when you see them at the pinnacle of their performance, they are both Mets. So you have every right to claim that, and there's nothing even to argue. They are both, both Mets. And you look at those two, and you can tell a cautionary tale because they were both brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And they both did incredible damage to their lives and their uh, careers. And it just shows you, a couple of years in, you don't know where a career is going. Because we have watched careers that we would have, if I got the call on the fan and they said, at a certain point, is blank a Hall of Famer? Strawberry would have said yes. Gooden, I would have said, yes, he will be. Mattingly, I would have said, Locke. Wright, I would have said, yes. And none of them got there. Why? Behavior. Injury. The bottom line is, you not only have to be really good to great, you have to do it for a long time. And you need some help to do that. You got to get a couple of breaks. You got to stay healthy. And look at Mattingly. I mean, Mattingly at one point was the best player in the American League. We could also say the best player in baseball, but let's just keep it to the American League. He was the best player in the American League. He was a wonderful player who was putting up, you know, enormous numbers, wonderful numbers, great numbers. And then all of a sudden he couldn't turn on the ball anymore because of his back. He could still hit 300. He could still play a great first base, but he couldn't pop the ball anymore. And it cost him a chance to go to the Hall of Fame, which still stings so many fans because they all know what he was in his prime. And they all love him because he is, you know, from Yankee standpoint, fans worship him as a player. 
Aaron. Tomlin is 3-9 in the playoffs going back to Super Bowl 45. I understand how valuable and rare consistency is. He's never had a losing season. But at what point will Tomlin be judged by his lack of postseason success versus his regular season accomplishments? Now, you saw ownership say that we're having him back, but we want more. We want postseason success now. Otherwise, we have to think about the future. So they basically told him, Going eight and eight or nine and seven, or, excuse me, let me add the game. Going nine and eight or 10 and seven is no longer good enough. We don't change coaches, as you know. They've had three coaches in 60 years, which is unbelievable when you think about it. From Noel to Cower to Tomlin, I mean, that is an, an amazing thing, the likes of which we've not seen. I mean, that is just unbelievable, what, what, you know, the stability of the franchise. But they've made that very clear now. Dustin, you've made it very clear in your opinion that you think the Mets should not let Alonzo go under any circumstances. Do you think that the Mets actually retain him and make him a Met for life? I don't know. I do not know. I think the one thing that's a problem here is he's going to be 29 on opening day. And I think they look at him as a body that will not age well. Now, they don't know that, okay? But I understand why they think it, because it's not the sleekest of bodies. It's not the kind of body that you say, wow, you know, in five years it's still going to be this. That's an issue. But here's what's not an issue. The guy is a pure, pure, right-handed, dyed-in-the-wool, absolute stud power hitter. In his four complete seasons out of five, he's had 53, 37, 40, and 46 homers. And just as important, he has played in this age. When this doesn't happen, he's played 161, 152, 160, and 154 games. He plays every single day. Is he hit for average? No, but we don't care about that. We don't care if he bats 250 or 230 or 270. What you do care about is what he slugs. And he slugs in the fives. And he knocks in runs. And he knocks in big runs. And he gets big hits. And he feels his position okay. He's not going to be, he's not Keith Hernandez. But he feels his position. And he plays every day. And he gets big hits. And the pressure of New York doesn't bother him a little. He loves it here. So Pete Alonzo, there should be no question about. Now, if I'm the Mets, I don't let him get the free agency. I wrap him up during the season, but I say to him, Pete, this is going to be a lot of money. I'll give you $40 million a year for the next six years. 
I'm not extending your contract after 35. It's not happening. You're not going to Miguel Cabrera me or pull holes me. Those deals kill teams, even ones with rich owners. That can't happen. So what you do is you bring the yearly rate up. And I'll bring the yearly rate up higher if I can decrease the year. So if he wants a four-year deal at $50 million a year, I give it to him. I would love to do that. I'd love to give him $200 million for the next four years. I give him that right now. I want to cut the years back as far as I can because am I worried about 35? I am. But I'm not worried about 29, and I'm not worried about 30, and I'm not worried about 31. I'm not worried about 32. I'm going to get my 40 home runs. I'm going to get my 110 to 20 RBIs. I'm going to get a guy who can hit and handle this town. Now, have I heard that Pete didn't get along with certain guys? Yes. Does that matter? Not even a little. Who cares if they got along? Who cares if Pete and DeGrom liked each other, let's say as an example? Who cares? The bottom line is he produces and he shows up every single day. So I would sign him, but I understand the sticking point. They don't want to give him a 10-year deal. They're not going to give him a 10-year deal. They're not going to give him, I don't think, an 8-year deal. But I think they'll give him a hell of a 5-year deal. And I'll even give him a whopping 4-year deal. I'd love to give him a great four-year deal. See, I believe in, with these players, I want them really out by 30. These guys, I want them out by 33. I want to be able to take a look at them at 33, 34 before I buy. I don't want to make my decision about years 34, 35, 36, 37, 38 when he's 29. I want to make it when he's 34 because everyone ages differently and some guys are done at 34. Pete might be that guy. I don't know. But I'm not worried about the next five years and he's already proven he can play in this town. He can handle the pressure. He can lead. He can hit in the clutch and he plays every day and produces big right-handed power numbers. I would do everything to keep them. We'll see you later. Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.